Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 92. A psalm of praise to the Lord, Psalm 92. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, I'd encourage you to look at one of the chairs around you, and you will see large black books and small black books. Look for the small black book. That's a copy of God's Word, and that's our gift to you. If there's not one there, in the back by the sound booth there's one. I'd encourage you to grab one of those. And as well, if you have a commitment card that you're planning on turning in, just have that out and ready, because after the message, but before we take communion, we will turn in those commitment cards together as a church body. On July 13th, 1958, an event happened here in Delaware, Ohio, that has affected each and every one of us in this room today. On that day, the first Sunday services of Delaware Bible Church were held at the National Guard Armory at 79 West Williams Street, just one and a half miles from where we find ourselves today. 24 people attended that first morning service, with 33 braving a heavy downpour to meet in the evening, and the building being rented for $25 per Sunday. Five months earlier, Pastor Carl Witt announced his resignation from Radnor Baptist Church as he felt the Lord calling he and his wife Vera towards a new ministry. The idea for that ministry came one month later while at a birthday party with several other believers in a crowd together, one person asked if this group could become a church. Over the next few months, a group of 17 people would meet and pray as they considered the establishment of a fundamental gospel witness here in Delaware. In five months, Pastor Carl Witt went from an established church to a brand new church plant. There are so many stories, story after story, that we could tell during this time. But let's fast forward to four years later, on March the 25th, 1962. It's on that date that the first Sunday worship service was held in the commons. That used to be what is now our auditorium. And the total cost for the project that had been done for that was $54,070.36. Of that money, $13,300 went to being paid for the 3.5 acres of land that we sit on. The building structure costing $40,770.36 with as much labor being done by volunteers as possible. Now prior to this, $35,000 was needed to proceed on the project, and no local financial institution would loan the brand new church money for this. Following two weeks of prayer, the congregation voted to begin construction using the 19000 or so dollars that they had on hand. Congregants made personal loans to the church. They delayed on personal building plans. They borrowed on insurance policies, and they trusted the Lord. God moved his people to start a church. He moved them to sacrificially give, and through their sacrificial giving, God provided a building for his congregation to meet in. Yet this is far from the only time that we hear a story like this here at Delaware Bible Church. Because after the building was completed, various ministries were added and expanded, and quickly DBC found themselves out of room. So it was at that time that there was construction of a new auditorium, the one that we find ourselves seated in today, 
and a classroom wing where many of our children are being taught today began. This project started in April of 1968 and was concluded in September of the following year. God again had moved his people to give sacrificially towards a need, and he blessed their work as they responded. Yet these early days here at DBC were busy ones with much going on, and shortly after a new auditorium was built, there continued to be a growing concern of the humanistic philosophy being taught in the public school system. And this prompted prayerful consideration for a Christian day school. In June of 1973, five years after the new auditorium and classroom wing was finished, the Delaware Christian School Board was established, and that following September, 50 students were enrolled in grades kindergarten through fourth with Kay Swartz teaching the seven kindergarten students that started that fall. The school continued to grow, and five years after being established in 1979, the school included grades K through 10 with an enrollment of 180 students and 13 staff members. Time went on, and as we've continued to see, building expansions linked to the church and the school continued. We've seen classroom additions. We've seen a gym added. We've seen recently this auditorium being remodeled and so many other projects. In just a few weeks, I celebrate being on staff for eight years at DBC, and I count four building projects of various sizes that I've overseen during that time. Yet through each of them, we've seen God work through the sacrificial gifts of our local congregation. Each of these projects required great sacrifice from so many as they chose to build for future generations. The majority of the story that I shared came from DBC's 25-year anniversary booklet. Earlier in the week, when I read through that story, it struck me that of the original leadership group that started this church, I knew very few of the names in there. In fact, I had never met any of those folks. They never knew me, yet my life would be drastically different if they didn't follow the Lord's leading to start Delaware Bible Church and build for future generations. Think for a moment of how drastically different your spiritual and personal life would be without Delaware Bible Church. For many of you, like me, we are the beneficiary of previous generations choosing to build for future generations. And today is a day of celebration as we get to take a step forward together and as we turn in the commitments that we have made, that we have prayerfully considered and trust that the Lord will provide for the project that he is leading us to do. Today is a day to praise the Lord because regardless of what happens with the future of this campaign, God has allowed us to meet corporately together and has allowed us the opportunity to give back just a portion of what he has given to us through our commitments and offerings together. It's been good for us as a church to think through and to wrestle through these things together. As Pastor Scott has shared, what we're considering in faith regarding this campaign stretches us. It's good for us to think about these things. It's good for us to consider how we can effectively steward what God has blessed us with. 
So we're gonna praise the Lord this morning. We've been doing so in song and in prayer, and now we're gonna do so in our message together. So as we open up Song 92, we see a song that I think is very fitting for our occasion today. Because your Bible likely includes a title for this psalm, such as a song for the Sabbath. And this psalm that we're going to be looking at was specifically written to celebrate the blessing of the institution of the Sabbath in Israel. The day focused on gathered worship and on rest. Now, some songs were meant to be sung during certain days of the week where either there was a ritual that was done, a sacrifice that was being made, but this song was meant to be sung on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. And so as we gather to celebrate on what God is doing here through our commitments to his work as a fellowship of believers, I believe that this is a fitting song, psalm to praise God for his work in our lives at the end of our campaign series here together. So our focus today, our big question you could say that we're going to be answering is, why do we praise God? Or why is it, why should we praise God? And the first thing that we see this morning that this, is that God is a God that is worthy of our praise. God is worthy of our praise. This is something we affirm. This is something that we sang about in our song time here today. And it's something that I hope that you believe is true, that the God that we serve is worthy of our praise. And the first four verses of this psalm share that with us. They say, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. We praise God because, first of all, God is good. And I think as we hear these stories shared about Delaware Bible Church in generations past, as I think as we share and reflect on our time together here as a church and the many blessings that God has blessed each of us with, it's easy for us to know and say that God is good, that he is good to us. And verse one shares with us that it is good for us to give thanks to God. Now, by good here, the psalmist means that it is fitting because of the many praiseworthy things that God has done. Praise fits God, and it's good for us to do that, to praise him. Praising us reminds us of several things. Number one, it reminds us of who we are. The Bible shares with us that before coming to faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we are spiritually dead in our sins that we have no relationship with God and no way of knowing him. It shares with us that we can do nothing in and of ourselves to gain favor with God, to have a relationship with him. And it shares with us that ultimately every good thing that we experience is by the grace of God. Praising God reminds us of who we are, but it also reminds us of what God has done for us. Because most importantly, God has made us alive in Christ if we have trusted in him as our Lord and personal Savior. And as I think about what all that God has done for us, I'm drawn back to our study recently in 1 Peter, 
where in chapter one, verses three through five, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We can praise God for all that he has done with us and all the spiritual blessings that he's given us. But yet we know that he not only blesses us spiritually, but he gives us undeserved grace each day, allowing us to be stewards over all the gifts that he gives each and every one of us. God, being the owner of all things, has allowed us to be stewards over his creation. And he's given us the opportunity to bless others through the gift of giving as good stewards. And we can rejoice through others who have blessed us as we can rejoice through the faithfulness of past generations, making, sacrificing, making sacrifices and building for future generations. And it's good for us to remember the many times and the many ways that God blesses us. There are so many that I could share, but I just want to share a couple that have stuck in my mind here as a congregation. Yesterday, we concluded our biblical counseling training conference here at Delaware Bible Church, a dream that Pastor Scott had had for many years, one that our elders had gotten behind. And I remember just a few years ago sharing that we wanted to do this that we had the ability to do it and that we wanted the church to be able to sponsor and take care of every staff member for Delaware Bible Church and Delaware Christian School that wanted to attend. And I remember as we brought that up to the church and sacrifice Sunday, one person coming forward and saying, I wanna take care of that need. I wanna steward the gifts that God has given me to be able to provide for that. I remember us raising money for this auditorium project, that we did it in two phases, and that we were coming to the second phase, and that we needed seven or $8,000 somewhere in there to be able to do the project. And I remember being a little bummed out on a random Tuesday, because I was noticing and realizing we're probably not going to be able to do this, and so we're going to have to drum up more interest next year and try to get the project going again, when someone came in my office they knocked on the door, came in, and said, how much is left on that project? And I shared that number with them, and they took care of the remaining balance. I remember our, ch our church sacrificially giving through our Sacrifice Sunday offering to the Pregnancy Resources of Delaware County, providing $17,500 to literally save lives within our community and provide a new ultrasound machine for them. I remember this past summer, seeing children getting excited to give Bibles to children in Suriname as they were hearing stories of these kids who had nothing and they were able to get their own copy of God's word for the first time. As they, were save, as they took the money that they had from, that they were saving for toys, as they were setting up lemonade stands, and as they were doing all that they could to raise over $5,000 for children's Bibles. Praise the Lord for his provision. Praise the Lord for them stewarding the resources that God had given them. <clears throat> I remember as a representative of our church being able over the last eight years 
to be able to give the financial gifts that you all give that aren't a part of our normal offerings or anything like that, the financial gifts that you give through the benevolence ministry to sit down with literally hundreds of people who have come in to our building looking for help, to being able to share the gospel with them and to be able to help them with their physical needs. I can think of sitting with the finance committee this past summer, realizing that in a year of the pandemic, where earlier our, our, our leadership team wondered what would happen with giving, realizing that we were going to have around $150,000 above what we had budgeted for that year. These are things that we should remember. These are things that we should praise God for as he has done so many great and wonderful things in our congregation. And yet these are just a few of the many, many, many things that the Lord has done for us. Praise the Lord. Praising God reminds us of all God has done for us. But finally, praising God reminds us of who God is. God sent his son Jesus to save us from our sin. And while God and his son Jesus are our savior, there is so much more that we can praise him for simply than that. Because as we study this passage and as we will study others, we see that God is a God of absolute attributes. That he fully embodies, he fully embodies the characteristics that the Bible shares that make him God. So when we say that God is good, we know that he is fully good, that there is not one ounce of goodness more that we can give or one ounce of goodness that we can take away from him. That as we can praise him for all that he's done for us, we know that he's the creator, the author, and the sustainer of all things. We can remember that God is fully good, that God is completely worthy, and that there is no one worthy of our worship outside of God. He is fully good, he is absolute, he is holy. And yet as well, we can praise him because God reigns supreme. God reigns supreme. It shares with us that it is good for us to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. God is a most high God. God is a God who rules over all. God not only created all things, but he rules and reigns over all of them, both now and forever. Take, for example, in 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through 12, where it says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. God is supremely over all. He rules and reigns over all, and we'll continue to see that here in this psalm. Yet, he's not just a faraway God that doesn't care about our concerns and all we go through today. No, next we see that God reigns supreme, but that he's intimately involved and that he is kind. 
it shares in verses two through three, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work, and the works of your hands I sing for joy. This shares with us that God is kind, that he is steadfast, that he is firm and unchanging, perfect, absolute in his absolute love for us, that he is faithful, that he always comes through, that what he says he will do, that his plans and promises that he shares with us are always true. He is kind to us. He is a great and high God, but he is good and he is kind to us. And because of that, we can say like the psalmist that God's work makes us glad that we can be glad in who God is and the work that he is doing. It says in verse four, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. The psalmist, as we want to do this morning, reflects on the many great things that God has done in his life. And it makes him grateful. And I think that the example of the psalmist here is a great one for us to look at as well. Because if you're anything like me, so often we can focus so much on our problems and not on our blessings. With my job here at DBC, uh, I have learned very quickly that I'm able to fulfill a childhood dream of mine. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a firefighter. And now as I work at DBC, I often joke that as a pastor, as the Lord has called me into ministry, that I am often able to, that my job consists of often putting out a lot of fires. Because there's a lot of fires that come around at a church. There's issues within the church and the building that come up. There's issues that come up with people in the church. There's spiritual things that you have to work through. There can often be a lot of fires here within the church. And it's very easy for me at times as I get snarled up in building problems, in people problems, in ministry problems, in the logistics of things, to get frustrated and focused on fixing these problems instead of focusing on the blessings. This past Friday, I was moving books with uh, Tyler Alexander, with Ray Jacobs, and Pastor Scott for this upcoming, or the, up, or the biblical counseling training that we just finished. And each month for this training, they had a large group of books out for this, and so we had to literally take all the books, and we had to pack them and unpack them each time for this conference to work. And there was a lot of books there. And as I was studying for this message, and as I was thinking about that time, I thought to myself, praise God for this, what I would consider to be an inconvenience. That our ministry is being used so much, that our rooms are so full, that it's so busy around here during the week, that we can't be like a lot of churches that just leave the books in there and let them collect dust for a month. That we have to move them because our ministry is being used to disciple so many people. What a blessing it is to have to reset the church each Friday so that we can be ready for work on Sunday because the room that we're literally sitting in is used for three classes five days a week. What a blessing it is to have to work through all the logistical issues and the fact that if you come into this building on a Wednesday, it is literally being used for ministry work from seven o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night. 
What a blessing it is to have all these problems. And really, I wouldn't want it any other way. I wouldn't want it any differently because God is allowing us to be able to use the resources that he's blessed us with in a way to disciple and to share the gospel with so many here within our community. Praise God for these good problems. Praise God for the good problem of needing to literally construct new doors here so that we can minister to more people while so many other churches and ministries and organizations are having to close their doors. Praise God for the work that he is doing here. He's good to us here. His work makes us glad And we can be glad in knowing that he is a good God, that he reigns supreme over all, and that he allows you and I to be a part of the work that he is doing. He allows us to minister to others. He allows us, as he is the owner over all, to be a steward over what he owns. He blesses us so that we can bless others. And as we bless others, He gives us more joy and makes us even more glad. He's really good to us here, and he's going to remain good to us as we walk in obedience to him because that's who he is. He is truly a God that is worthy of our praise. But secondly, we see that God is a just God. Verses 5 through 11 share with us that God is a God of perfect and absolute justice. Verse five says, how great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. God is just, and we first see that God's enemies are doomed. God's enemies are doomed to destruction. And we see an interesting contrast here. Because as this psalmist opens up this section of the psalm, it shares with us that God's works are great and that his thoughts are very deep. And as it's talking about God's thoughts being very deep, it's talking about God being absolute in his knowledge, that he is omniscient, that he is all-knowing, that he knows everything that there is to be known that his knowledge is the total of all knowledge, that you can't add or subtract to it. There is nothing that he does not know. His thoughts are deep. They're greater than anything we can comprehend. And now look at the interesting contrast there between God's knowledge and that of the godless, of the ungodly. It shares that the stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this. And as I read this, I find it interesting that regularly we see the word fool being used to describe the godless. But not only do we see that, but we see an even more blunt word used to begin, that word of stupid. And as I read that here, 
When I see the Bible referring to the godless as stupid, I am reminded of the great theologian, Cy Robertson, from the show Duck Dynasty. Because nine years or so ago, you may have turned on that television show and regularly remember seeing this man on television where he shared one of the most profound statements that I have ever heard on cable television, and that's saying something. He said this, you can't fix stupid. He went on to say that there are certain things in life that are unfixable. He shared, and I quote, you can't fix trash, you can't fix a neutered dog, you can't fix garage doors, and you can't fix stupid. And as I say that, in a real spiritual sense, that there is nothing you and I can do to fix what the Bible calls stupid or foolish. There are people whose minds are darkened by the truth. Now, it is our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to share the truth with them, but ultimately, God is going to be the one that has to do a work in their heart and life, just as he did with all of us who were stupid and foolish, to call them to repentance and to remove this veil, this lack of knowledge from them. God is the only one that we can say that can fix stupid. And yet the Bible shares with us that there are many who would fit into this category. There are many who are godless. It shares with us in verse 7 that the wicked sprout like grass, that there's a lot of them. And at times now, doesn't it feel like there's even more of them around? That the evildoers flourish, that they seem to get ahead in life. And yet as we look within the society around us, it's easy for us at times to look and see in leadership position after leadership position, those who do not profess that Jesus is Lord, those who do not believe in the God of the Bible. And it can be easy for us to get down and look at them and see they're all around us. They're continuing to gain leverage. They're taking away the opportunities that we have to share the truth, the word of God. But yet, what does it say about these people? Looking at verses 8 and 9, they say, But you, O Lord, are on high forever, that again God reigns supreme, and that behold, your enemies, O Lord, behold, your enemies shall perish, all evildoers shall be scattered, that ultimately God will have the victory that we can be encouraged and praise God and knowing that ultimately, regardless of how bad things get, regardless of how many evildoers that there are, that the battle has already been won. And man, I think sometimes for us, we really need to think more about that, that God continues to bless us in so many ways. And that while things may look bad, that while there may be very many legitimate fears about the world around us and how the enemy just continues to seem to creep in more and more and remove our influence, that we're on the winning side. I've been asked from time to time, based on the current state of affairs around the country, if, and based on everything going on in the economy, if I'm nervous about the church taking on a project like this under these conditions. That as we see all the craziness in the world around us, is this something we should really be committing to? And I say, no, I'm not nervous about it. 
Because I'm on the winning side. Because ultimately, God shares with us in his word that if he wants us to build this building, that he, being the creator, the sustainer, the one who provides all these things, that he's going to pay the bills for us to be able to do so, to, his minister, to minister to as many people as he allows us to. That as we're on the winning side, that all thing, although things are getting nasty and crazy out there, we can know that God continues to bless us so greatly. And I take hope in as well in trusting our leadership because I know that as I sit on boards with the men who are serving and leading this church that they are wise, godly men who as Pastor Scott shared this last week that whatever the next step is regarding what we're going to do with this project, that the decisions that they make will be ones that are financially responsible and that bring glory to God. As we take this stretching step forward as a church body, we can be sure without a shadow of a doubt that God, the owner of all, leads us to build, that if he leads us to build this new building, that he will provide for our needs and he will allow us to proclaim the truth of his word there for his glory. Praise God for that. Be glad in what he's doing. Be glad that he's not done blessing Delaware Bible Church, but there's a whole lot more that he's going to do. God is a God whose enemies are doomed, but as well, God exalts his children, those who he calls the righteous. Verse 10 says this, but you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured oil over me, fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. God exalts his children, and as he does so, he does so using the picture of this psalmist's horn being exalted. And during this time period, lifting up an animal horn was known as a symbol of power. We see examples of this throughout the Bible. I'll share one, such as Psalm 75.10, where it says, all the horns of the wicked I will cut off, or they will lose their power. But the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. As we see the horn being exalted, it's a symbol of power, that we are empowered by God in the work that he's doing, and that we can trust and know that his enemies are ultimately doomed. But yet then, it gives the example of an animal. It says that you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. Now that animal being described is one that is now extinct, but it was called the arox. And this was an animal known for its strength and power. It was literally known for using its strong horns to gore and to destroy its enemies. Now, if I saw an animal like this lift up its horns after being in a battle, I would know that the outcome was sure that that powerful animal won. If an animal like that lifted its horns in victory, you knew that they won the battle. And yet that's what this psalmist is saying. My horns lifted up like this wild animal. The battle has been won. But yet not only has the battle been won, but then he continues to say that God has poured over me fresh oil, symbolizing joy and refreshment. 
God gives us the strength that we need as well as the refreshment along the way for the battles that he allows us to partake in. I'm sure we could all think of examples and times where we have served the Lord and we have just walked away literally exhausted. Yet God in his perfect way and his perfect timing has given us strength and refreshment for when we needed it. God not only exalts his children as they win over their enemy by showing their power, but he refreshes us and he guides us along the way. Yet there's still more that we can praise God for because third and finally today, God is love. But the God that we serve is a loving God. It shares in verse 12 that the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. God is a loving God. His love is shown to us first and most importantly through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. But it's also found in his loving care as shown for his children, as not only does God save us, but he allows us to flourish. It shares with us that the righteous flourish, that they are, like it shares with us in verses 12 and 13, like trees in the forest that are singing for joy. And as we see these trees here, he talks about two specific trees here. He first talks about the palm tree. The palm tree, like they flourish like a beautiful tree, like this palm tree that can live for seven to eight decades. But as well, in verse 12, like a cedar in Lebanon. That tree showed there is another tree that is known for its long life and it grows to be a huge tree growing up to 80 feet tall and having a spread of 50 feet with its branches. These are big, beautiful, flourishing trees just as God, our loving, kind, good, faithful, sovereign and reigning God gives for us that we can be built up that we can be like a big tree with deep roots planted in the truth that's found in his word. Through that, we can see as well that our loving God allows the righteous to bear fruit. In verse 14, it shares with us that they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. That regardless of the age of these trees, of these trees Excuse me, they continue to bear fruit. And yet that's a great meaning for us as well. That as we can praise God each day for the many gifts that he gives us, that he has given us the opportunity each and every day to minister to others, to bear fruit, and to be stewards of the many resources that he's given us. That we can bear spiritual fruit regardless of our age. And what a joy it is to be a part of a church where some of you for many generations have continued to serve the Lord into your old age. And yet as you continue to mature and grow, the Lord gives you opportunities for you to bear fruit, for you to grow. And as God wants to continue to make his name known, his name famous in this community, what an opportunity we have 
to be able to continue to bear fruit regardless of our age, regardless of our background, regardless of any of those things. If we are found in Christ, he will allow us to flourish and to bear fruit as we walk in obedience. But finally, we see this, that the righteous praise God. It shares in verse 15, to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness that is found in him. God is upright. He is honorable and honest. He is firm and dependable as a rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. And yet as we study this psalm today, as we see just a few of the absolute attributes of God, we can say, man, there's so many other things we can praise God for. We can praise him for so much, and we should. And yet as we seek to apply these things, I would encourage you to remember that as we praise God for the work that he's done and that he's going to do even today within our church body, remember that he's not done yet. That man, as our church, as we have through generation after generation been blessed to build for future generations, that he's not done with the work here yet. That regardless of our age, regardless of our time in life, he allows us to bear fruit. And as well, my other encouragement for you is this, to commit to being an active participant in what God is doing here. As Pastor Scott has shared, this project is going to be one that actively stretches us as a church. It's going to help us as trees grow up firmer and stronger. And praise God for that. Commit to with the gifts, the resources, that the gifts and abilities that he's allowed you to steward, commit to using those for the furtherance of his kingdom. Commit to being an active participant. And yet, as I say that, and knowing that still about a third of our church is not able to join us in person here for corporate worship, please allow me to say this in love. It's really hard to be an active participant within the church body when you can't be here. And if you still have not joined us since COVID, I would just ask you to please examine your motives as to why. If the reason for not being back here is comfort-related and not truly health-related, come back, join us, and be an active participant in what God is doing. We need you as a part of our fellowship, and you need us. And God is going to continue to bless our ministry and do wonderful, amazing things that future generations will praise God for. And as active participants... We're going to have an opportunity, a couple opportunities to do that now together. Because I'm going to ask the elders to come forward that are going to be serving in communion today. And before we get to communion, they are going to come and they are going to pass a plate down each of the aisles. And if you have a formal commitment card that you would like to place in there, I would ask you to go ahead and place that in as it passes. After we do that, we will partake in communion together. But before we do that, I'd like to pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, what a joy and a privilege it is to be a part of your church. Lord, truly, we have been blessed 
by the sacrifice of generations before us. And I pray that we as a fellowship through this time of commitment would be able to bless future generations or generations that we're not gonna know their names just like many of them don't know our names or did not know our names when they chose to sacrifice. But help us to walk in obedience, help us to follow you and be honored and glorified in these commitments. Lord, help us to fulfill them for the furtherance of your kingdom. Thank you for this time together. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.